This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. My body hated life. Yeah, it's, you know, it's hard to it's hard to record when you're in and out of the hospital all the time. So welcome back. You have to apologize to the audience. I'm not apologizing. Hey, I'm sorry. For, I'm dying. I'm not apologizing for shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help that I was in the hospital. You bitch. <laughs> all right, and we're back. Episode. 132 slash episode one of season I think it's three because we've had another break I don't know I don't we don't really do seasons we just our lives blow up and we just stop recording for a while (laughs) and you know as much as you plan to not then things happen so So, it becomes longer it's two months later we're here and it's I'm sorry with the podcast we're back bitches that's Christina if you forgot yeah, that's me. I'm, 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 I'm not me. I'm, I'm Mrs. Iglesias. <laughs> and I am. That's Amanda. Amanda. That's Amanda. Hey, that's Amanda. That's me. I'm Amanda. Maybe <laughs> sometimes, some days, some days. Uh, um, uh, ooh, uh, we're already so starting strong. It's going to be listen, like getting back on a bike. Okay, guys. Train it's rusty. We're rusty. Oh, I forgot to take my birth control too. <laughs> Dude, take all your pills. All my pills, because I'm 97 years old, and that's what's keeping me alive. <laughs> it's what's keeping her sitting up so we can record all of her pills. Just <laughs> propped up here, <laughs> strapped to a chair, because I can't sit up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so tell the world what what's wrong. Well, not exactly well, I don't know what's wrong, wrong but that's what's, part of the problem. <laughs> the, <laughs> what, what the issue is. Um... I just randomly woke up one day with extreme excruciating abdominal pain and I have been poked and prodded and scanned and probed and you've been you've been (laughs) you've been cameraed up down and all the way through yes (laughs) up down all around town and they still can't tell me what the fuck is wrong um my gallbladder is apparently fine except it's the pain is right above my gallbladder and I feel like it's just shy and not showing itself on camera to be angry and upset because she's a cranky bitch I think because it's just a lot of pain and I've been in and out of the emergency room like four times so now I'm marked as a frequent flyer so when I go into the emergency room they're like there's nothing wrong with you and they won't treat me at all oh so that's fun um and then the one time I went in, it was because my ovaries and my abdominal pain was like meshing together to create a gorgeous symphony of pain. <laughs> a symphony all the way around. So yeah, I, they don't know what's wrong. We, with so and yeah, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Still in pain. Not as bad as it was, but it's just kind of hanging out as like a low burning ache in my right side of my stomach. So any doctors out there want to take a guess? It's not my gallbladder. It's not my pancreas. It's not my liver. It's not my kidneys. Maybe her uterus, but not her uterus. It's not my uterus up in the upper right. I may have, they've discovered other issues, which is fine. 
so much fun. But well, I mean, they're doing the deduction method. Oh, and then I got shingles because yeah. I was so stressed out that my body said, you know what? Let's dig deep inside and find the chicken pox virus that you had at six months old and they weren't even sure you had. And let's fucking explode it through your whole body. Yeah, so it's been it's thing. been it's been fun. I've had a lot of fucking fun. <laughs> well, and then once you were feeling better, both of us had no voice. Nope. And then so I got sick. No- <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, okay, I can kind of function. And then I got a sinus infection and an upper respiratory infection. So I was like, cool. My body literally hates me. It's kind of, I'm still like fighting it. I didn't get tested, but I'm pretty sure I had COVID again because <laughs> Or it's, there's this rhinovirus that's kind of like mimicking COVID. It was probably the rhinovirus because that's what I had. Because I tested myself for COVID like three times. And because I had, I started with a hacking cough. And I was like, what, where is this coming from? And then it just kind of turned into a sinus infection. I was like, oh, that's what it is. didn't test for it because I'm like, I've already had my symptoms for over five days. Right. By the time I was like, oh, I think this is whatever. So I'm like, at that point I test and I'm just it's been five days already and that's their like go-to now. So I'm like, okay, well, uh, I guess we'll just not. And if I can't handle it, then I can't handle it and I won't go to work and I won't do my things. And I only work three days a week. So I'm like, I'll just rest the days I'm not. Of course. Is it your sister? Yeah. It's the first fucking time we've recorded in two months. <laughs> and she still manages to call while we're recording. And now I got to get you back because it like bounced away. Oh, yeah. It's connected to your pooter. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to kick you out of our recording. <laughs> I was like, what? oh. I tried to rejoin the actual meeting ID so that we could just like continue and then it wouldn't let me. That's because I closed it because I was like, I don't know if she can rejoin and I don't know how to re-ask her to come back. Uh, Come back. back. The boats. Come back. Uh, Where were we? I don't know. We're back. That's basically it. My body was falling apart and we're planning for Amanda's a wedding and bachelorette party mm-hmm. very I, exciting stuff um i last night i had my shingles was like i don't know i i don't know if i got like too sweaty during the day walking around shopping and stuff but mm. like it was really irritated and i was like <laughs> i cannot get sick again i can't go into the hospital again like <laughs> we've got shit to do now so yeah. <laughs> gonna have to just as i as i buckle down i'm either i'm either gonna survive or die in my house because i don't got i don't got health insurance i can't go anywhere right now (laughs) what are some witchy homemade remedies to fix me (laughs) i'm just gonna burn sage and hope for the best (laughs) mom went my mom goes maybe you need to go to church I was like, is that what it is? Do you think there's a demon inside me? <laughs> Do an egg cleanse. Yeah. Just rub it all over you. Maybe, maybe I should do that. Just do an just egg. Give it a go. Just give it a go. Just do, do an it. egg cleanse. The fuck is it gonna hurt at this point? <laughs> I, I wake up some internal demon inside me. <laughs> it just makes it worse. 
you start waking up to like a black shadow over your bed you're like what happened what happened (laughs) well what happened was i was living inside of you and now i'm out (laughs) now i'm out (laughs) welcome to the party (laughs) Uh, oh good gravy fuck my life right (laughs) just kidding yay life yay life um well, I suppose we could probably tell stories, huh? Unless they yeah. just want to hear us talk all day, because we probably could do that too. We probs could. Let's. The best way to not is to not, though. So let's just crack into it. Deal. You want to tell me a story? Boy, howdy, do I? <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> I don't know. I've never said that before in my life. You so know, just happened. It's a first for everybody. All right. I'm going to tell you about the Stott family murders. Stott. Yeah, are you ready? I'm ready. So, Diane, Diane, <laughs> just starting off. Off to a good start. Starting off good. <laughs> Diane and Mark Stott were high school sweethearts. Uh, and the couple then bought a small 900 square foot, it's tiny, house it in tiny. Springfield to raise their four children springfield what why would you ask me that because you didn't say (laughs) it's because i accidentally deleted the state like i always do so just let me go ahead and google it quick (laughs) i don't know why i always do that to myself and then you always ask well it's because i want to (laughs) know i know it was where is it i want to know everything missouri 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 Missouri. i'm like especially springfield is in like nine of the states listen or more springfield missouri sorry cool okay good talk um so by all accounts the family was happy they were musically talented and enjoyed religious themed contemporary music diane was a church organist and trained nurse and also the main source of income for the family while mark was the lead singer and guitarist of a local blues band called messing with destiny and he only he was kind of he he brought home like minimal income and wasn't like the breadwinner wasn't very helpful around the house kind of thing uh deadbeat dish um, i don't want to say dead i don't want to say that because he was murdered but um he would take odd jobs but didn't really like never had a steady in right and in. wasn't very helpful around the house kind of thing um but then in April of 2012, tragedy struck uh, with Diane found Mark dead in the family home when she came home from work. Uh, at the time, she described Mark's lifestyle as partying more, drinking heavily, and getting into drugs. His bandmates, however, said that Mark would not have gotten into drugs, nor was he a heavy drinker because it would have caused issues with his voice and harmonica playing in the blues band. Okay. There were reports that Mark was feeling unwell, clammy, acting off for weeks, and despite the death being sudden, since Mark didn't lead a very healthy lifestyle, his death was ruled to be of natural causes. Okay. So, Diane received $20,000 due to Mark's life insurance policy and was able to move her family to a new neighborhood and into a much larger home. Okay. At the time of their father's death, the four children were living in the family home. It was Sean Stott, age 26, who was on the autism spectrum. 
Sarah Stott, age 24, who was a university graduate with high grades, but an inability to secure any employment and had incurred a high amount of student loan debt. Mm. Rachel Stott, age 22, the, she was like the golden child. Oh. Um, she had high marks in college and her mom, basically the only child her mother ever posted about on Facebook and how amazing she was, was Rachel. Oh, nice. Nice. And then Brianna Stott, age nine, who had severe learning disabilities. Okay. So we got mom, three adult children, and then a nine-year-old in yes. the house. Okay. Um, so then that September, tragedy struck again when Sean, 26, died suddenly. Sean was diagnosed with autism when he was younger and had a history of seizures, but was also and was found with a ring of blood around his mouth. But his death was ruled to be caused by prior medical issues. Okay. Uh, Diane told police that Sean had been experiencing flu-like symptoms, diarrhea, nausea, body aches, and headaches for three weeks prior to his death. Like his father, Sean's body was also cremated, and he died just 147 days after his father. He was having all those symptoms for three weeks, and they didn't go to the doctor? No. That's weird to me. Even with even with no health insurance, if I was having diarrhea for three weeks, I'd go to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. Sometimes you gotta bite the bullet. Sometimes you just have to do it, all right? Uh, so as time passed, things seemed to return to normal in the Stott home until June of 2013. So that was 2012 when all of that happened. So who else died now? Just, I'm getting, I'm fucking getting. I, I, I am suspicious of this <clears throat> mother. You should be. Uh, then Diane rushed her daughter, Sarah, to the emergency room. Sarah, who was then 24 years old, was admitted with flu-like symptoms and her kidney and brain were failing. Oh, no. The Springfield Police Department then would receive a tip from someone who claimed to be close to the Stott family. The, tips, the tipster told them that there had been two deaths in the family and now Sarah was in grave condition when no, with no prior health problems. Diane also seemed almost void of emotion about her daughter's condition. The tipster later came forward as being the pastor of their church. Wow. You know, you know, you got to be suspicious when mm -hmm. your pastor's like, I don't know, that's not right. So after the anonymous tip came in claiming Diane was involved, Springfield detective Neil McAmis took that he started looking closely at the reports filed on Mark and Sean's death and noticed similarities. So they both actually died with blood around ring, a bloody ring around their mouth. Okay. And both kind of had the same symptoms and mm -hmm. then they both died suddenly um when he went to the hospital where sarah was being treated and talked to the nursing staff they reported that diane was behaving strangely joking about her daughter's condition and talking about an upcoming vacation to florida wow what was even mm -hmm. more concerning was that sarah's doctor told detectives that they were unable to figure out what exactly was afflicting her and they were beginning to suspect that she had been poisoned Sounds like it. So Detective McAmis decided that it was time to speak with Diane, and he brought her in for questioning. During the interview, Diane seemed extremely calm, but Detective McAmis had to, was trying to be very careful throughout the interview, because obviously, if she didn't do anything, you're dealing with a mother who has lost her lots. husband. Yeah, lots of trauma. Son, and now a daughter is 
severely, severely ill. Um, as the interview progressed, though, things weren't really adding up. So Detective McAmis kind of pressed a little harder and cracks kind of started to appear in Diane's story. So she at first admitted that she thought her daughter Sarah was difficult and she may have delayed bringing her to the hospital, but denied harming her or harming Sean. But then she started bringing up antifreeze. Just. You're just going to bring that up. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, She said, I didn't hurt my kids. And that's what I feel like you're insinuating. I did. I may not be the best mother in the world, but I didn't hurt my kids. I think she said it was like, it's not like I put antifreeze or something in. Like it was very like, "Mm, are you sure about that? That's a weird detail to volunteer, even when you're just denying something. Right. And then she also said that when Mark died, she, it was a relief. She didn't tell people that, but she didn't know what else to say. So she like basically was not happy with Mark. Right. Uh, At this point in questioning, the interrogation tapes show that Diane wondering out loud if she needed a lawyer and McAmis then basically read her her rights. Mm -hmm. And Diane continued to talk. Uh, Diane at first said that Mark and Sean were drinking antifreeze as a way to commit suicide. So maybe they drank antifreeze to commit suicide. But Mm. then she eventually confessed she was the one giving it to them without their knowledge. You are later. What shocked the detectives more than the act was the reason behind it. Diane at first said that Mark and Sean were drinking, obviously suicide, but then she confessed that she just said that she hated Mark. Her words were she hated his guts. And then she talked about Sean as being just a heavy burden because of his autism. And that he was, her exact words were that he was the worst pest. Oh my, I'm this bitch. And then with Sarah, she said Sarah had student loans that needed to be paid and Sarah wasn't, wasn't working and couldn't keep a job. And she just needed to get her out of the way. It's, she has what she has no this is her family yeah like mark k divorce him he's not bringing in any you're paying for everything anyway divorce him be like hey see you later bud but your kids come Mm -hmm. on so then diane was immediately taken into custody uh so while she was taken into custody police executed a search warrant on the house to try and like find evidence Mm -hmm. And in the house, they found a diary. They always keep a diary. Just wait. The small purple diary belonged to Rachel. And the contents inside it were more than very concerning. Mm -hmm. Uh, She detailed out the upcoming deaths of her father and brother months before they actually died. She wrote that she she knew it was happening and that she was trying to come to terms with it. It was time in that, so when they um, found that, they're like, okay, now we have to question Rachel, because was she a part of this? Right. So Rachel, who was at the time 22 years old, uh, said the only person her mom talked to about harming, what talked to her about harming was herself, but then she changed her story after the detectives were like, yeah, that's not true. We found your diary. So she said... Um, oh, and then they also found a note that was discovered in Rachel's purse, which Rachel had written a bizarre poem and that ended with only the quiet ones will be left. My mother, my little sister and me. What the fuck? Yes. Um, 
and then her diary entry and complete said, it's sad when I realized how my father will pass on in the next two months. Sean, my brother will move on shortly after it will be tough getting used to the changes, but everything will work out. And it was dated June 13th, 2011, which was a year before Rachel's dad died. Yeah. Wow. Um, when confronted with that evidence, Rachel told McAmis the entry was about bad dreams she had about them dying. But after McAmis read Rachel her Miranda rights, she then confessed that she and her mother had researched different options to kill her father, including suffocation and a cocktail of pills before settling on antifreeze. She said her mother bought the antifreeze online because antifreeze sold in stores has added a bittering agent to prevent accidental ingestion. Uh, because in general, you could put it in something and you couldn't taste it. She wanted a specifically tasteless one. Wow. She said the plan was to poison her father, but her mother quickly turned her attention on Sean and Rachel said she reluctantly went along. Sean, we argued a lot about because I still think she said, Sean, we argued a lot about because I still think we could have put him in an assisted living, but she just wanted him out. Mm. Rachel then also said Sarah is equally unneeded we could have found someplace else for her but she was at very adamant that Sarah was just a burden that Sarah needed to be taken care of wow so in further interrogation uh, Rachel told McAmis that she and her mother only took her sister Sarah to the hospital because she worried about the smell that would be left afterwards if she died in the house hey I'm I'm speechless wow her exact quote was i didn't want another one to die in the house because houses are nasty after somebody's died in it it just i okay she also said i get a lot of nightmares after sean died i moved into his room and it was awful just awful in there i kept feeling things in there i just what didn't want that mm -hmm. again maybe because you fucking murdered your brother right it's weird oh my god rachel then also said that despite what her mother had said her then 12 year old sister was next after sarah what i know there was no way in hell i'd be able to take care of her i can't even take care of me and i know my mom had no interest in taking care of her i well then you're gonna be after that obviously mm -hmm. oh, no because shit. she was the golden child it was just gonna be yeah. her and her mom well, yeah, but until she gets sick of having to deal with her for whatever reason, apparently this is what she just does. Rachel also said that her mother was the only one that understood her. They related to each other. She was the golden child, and it was just going to be those two together. I, I have no, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So Diane Stott was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole in 2016, while Rachel Stott pled guilty to second-degree murder in May of 2015 as part of a plea deal in exchange for testifying against her mother at her trial, eventually being sentenced in March of 2016 to life in prison with, with the possibility of parole. Okay. Both Rachel and Diane have since appealed to vacate their pleas with Rachel arguing, when lawyers were appointed, my fear of men was not accommodated, leading me to leading to miscommunication, coercion, and mental duress. Being in an interview room alone with a male detective was like being flayed alive. You should be flayed alive, you dumb I, bitch. I was I. <laughs> I there's so many things that mm -hmm. I don't I want to say but don't know how to say. 
Okay, go on. So, <laughs> and then just so you know, Brianna Stodd, I don't believe Brianna was her first name. I think that was the name they gave her in the case because she was a minor. Right, which makes sense. Um, after the arrest of Diana and Rachel, Bri- Brianna then, a fourth grade student and a minor child had not yet been poisoned by her mother, sister. Um, oh no, that was her name. So she has a new name. And that has not been identified as okay. sources due to her age. And she was placed in foster care. So just the opposite of it. Like that was right. her name, but now she goes by a different identity. Got yes. It. Sarah survived, but suffered severe organ damage and neurological damage as a result of the antifreeze. Her symptoms oh, yeah. initially thought to be flu-like were later revealed to be caused by the poisoning she maintains a facebook pro- profile with information about the murder case as well as a profile banner photo of her father performing and messing with destiny um she was given the opportunity to read the uh, statement in court which said i prefer to be a survivor than a victim i forgive my mom for what she did to me but she not only took away my dad my and brother she took away my lifestyle livelihood and my independence Sarah, who had been on the dean's list during her years in university, was said by Greene County prosecuting attorney uh, to require a guardian and living in an assisted living facility due to the effects of the poison on her body and her mental state. Right. Oh, poor girl. That's just. Oh, wow. Is that it? Yeah. Wow. Um, um... It's fucked up. I don't even know. I can't imagine. It reminds me of the other case I did. I can't remember which one it was, but it was the mother was poisoning her family. She killed her father. And then she was, she killed, I think another child. And then she tried to kill her other daughter of alcohol poisoning and left a suicide note. Mm. I did that one. I don't know, probably a year ago. It is really wild how like, I couldn't remember or tell you cases that we've covered unless I look at pictures of like that visual memory helps me, but like I can pull out facts and then I'm like, I don't know what case it is, but I remember hearing it. Um, But I was just like, that's so fucked up. That's so fucked up. Wow. You can tell that we, (laughs) we haven't been telling each other and I haven't been like researching as much because I am just, I'm kind of flabbergasted and it's weird how after we do it every week for so mm-hmm. long, I don't realize how you're desensitized to it. Yeah. How, yeah. how much I don't feel it. And was that you? It was me. Sorry. Okay. I was like, hello. The fuck was that? Um, but yeah, it's kind of wild thinking about that because right now I'm just kind of overwhelmed with... Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, it's fine with just like trying to not empathize, but sympathize in a way where it's like, okay, so how would you get to that point? I know. But then at the same, you can't. Okay, well, thanks for that. Uh, you're, you're welcome. Okay. And tell me your depressing story. Let's go. Ah, Roy. Right, so I'm going to tell you the story of Sophie Toscan du Plantier. It's French, obviously. Mm. And it's Plantier. And I really wanted to say it, and I looked it up. Plantier. Plantier. Because <laughs> I'm smart. So She's a French bitch. 
That's a French ass name. That's a Plantier. That's a French ass name, Yvonne. <laughs> My little croissant. <laughs> My little croissant. The back of your head is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so Sophie was born July 28th of 1957 in Paris, France. Paris. Paris. Huh? Uh, Paris. Paris. I, I can't hear you from back there, girl. I know I gotta lean for I gotta lean forward every time I talk. <laughs> She was a docu- documentary documentary producer. There we go. There I was going to say documentarian. She's a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Pronounce every single syllable in the word. Documentary <laughs> producer. <laughs> um, and through this work, she met her husband, Daniel Tuscan Duplantier. Whoa. Um, it's just a mouthful. <laughs> she had a son before this marriage from a previous marriage, but nothing I could find detailed anything in the past past. So uh, Daniel was a British film producer, her new husband, and was famous. And they became romantic in 1988. Uh, Daniel was 16 years older than Sophie and was married two times before her, but he also was like part of that movie lifestyle so he would go to parties he was very social whatever and that doesn't really help marriages uh unless you guys can come to terms with what your differences are you know so i i'm guessing that's what's happened to him Mm -hmm. uh on june 18th 1991 the two were married And Daniel was all about the fame. He loved the social life, like I said. And he was all about going out, being seen, looking cute, looking good. Glitz and glam. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sophie was much more of a homebody. She was much more laid back, would do it and enjoyed it, but she would much rather be home. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in 1993, Sophie actually bought a holiday home in West Cork, Ireland. Because she went there when she was like in high school and her early 20s and just kind of fell in love with the countryside there. So she bought this little holiday home and it was basically just her extremely remote house that she would go to when she needed to just be away from all of the fame-y stuff that she had to deal with on a daily basis. I want a house in Ireland that I can just go to when people piss me off. Right. Um, I'm. That's what I'm saying. And dream. a lot of times. Hashtag dream. right a lot of times she'd bring her son with her and she'd do like long weekends or whatever and they'd just go relax Mm -hmm. uh just before christmas sophie decided um this was 1993 i believe oh no oh no my table is oh 96 so three years okay three years after that i didn't put the date until later on i'm like wait i don't understand Okay. Anyway, just before Christmas, Sophie decided to take a retreat to this house and she had asked on December 19th, asked around to see if anybody would want to come with her and just do like a quick vacation before they had the Christmas stuff. Mm -hmm. But because it was right before Christmas, everybody had their things they were trying to get ready for or whatever. So she couldn't really find anybody to come with her. So she's like, I'll just do a solo trip. So she arrived in Ireland the morning of December 20th, 1996, with plans to be back in Paris by Christmas. So she was just going to spend a few days and then come back. Uh, The, 
excuse me, she rented a Ford Fiesta when she arrived and drove it to her home in West Cork. She stopped at the Mexico gas station, which, or Texaco gas station, which I was surprised to hear that there's those in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Texaco. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I read it and I was like, Texaco? Texaco, (laughs) huh? All right. All right, cool. Uh, On the way uh, to buy firewood for her, for her burning stuff. (laughs) Um, And she stopped at a local place for lunch between 3.30 and 4.30 p.m. So she was obviously just whenever she got there, she ate. Okay. And then she went home. Uh, When she got there, she called the the caretaker to get the information she needed to know because she had someone who stayed there when she wasn't there or checked on the place, made sure everything was being kept up. And so, you know, give me information. Is there something that I need to watch for? Is everything working good? Yada, yada. Um, the next day she drove to town to get groceries and got money at an ATM when that day she got home at four 30 as well. And this was also the last time that she was seen like outside the house and the premises. Okay. Mm-hmm. Later in the evening, she did call her husband, but he missed the call and called her back around 11 PM. Cause he was working. Okay. And so they had a conversation and he said that she seemed normal, didn't seem worried or upset or didn't say anything about anything, right? On December 22nd, Sophie visited the ruins of Don Lu. I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. sounds cool. Sounds like something I go to. Um, that same day, she visited a friend and had told her um, that she was at the ruins. And while she was there, there was a woman who kind of freaked her out. Uh, she quote said, Oh my God, I saw a woman like a white shape, a ghost Mm. is what I kind of took that the lady of the lake, quote unquote, which was, is a folklore Mm -hmm. tale from around there. And in this folklore tale, when you see the lady of the lake, you're going to die. You're going to die soon. So creepy. uh, Yeah. December 23rd, around 10 a.m., Sophie's body was found. So the next day, ah, uh, yeah, that kind of freaks me out. Um, body was found outside of, on the lane or the driveway of her home. Uh, Shirley Foster, her neighbor, is the one who found her. She was on a walk. Uh, she was wearing a white top, lycra leggings, and boots so i had to look up what lycra was because i was like uh that's like, a word you don't hear a lot yeah it's kind of like that spandexy it yeah. seems like the shiny kind of workout mm-hmm. pants is what i what i deduced from yes. my pictures i saw you are correct uh, thank you dang out i mean it was the 90s lycra was a thing yeah step aerobics videos the yeah, 80s booty <laughs> they and her Clothes were caught up in the barbed wire fence that surrounds her property. Uh, clearly, she had been murdered. Mm-hmm. She had numerous defensive wounds. Uh, she was beaten severely around, in and around, in and around, around her head and on her upper body. Amanda, hello. Ouch. And it looked like it was, the injuries were caused by something like a fire poker, so a long cylindrical hard oh. object. Uh there was also con- a concrete block that was at the scene that seemed to be the one that she that was dropped on her head. 
I'm like, while she was on the ground, uh, she was laying in a pool of her own blood. So, and there, and there was blood found on the gate. So clearly she had been killed right there. There was no moving the body, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Inside the house, there was no sign of anything out of the ordinary. Uh, There was no sign of a break-in. There was no, nothing was turned up. There was no like looking for something robbery-esque. Um, the bed was unmade and there were two wine glasses in the drying rack next to the sink though. So either she had wine twice and just didn't use the same glass or there was a second person there having wine with her was kind of what they Mm. looked at. Um, there was no luck with fingerprinting. They found nothing that wasn't hers. There was a bloody hair found in her hands and it was found to be her own hair when they tested it. Weird. So I don't, I don't know what happened. No DNA evidence anywhere. They found nothing that proved anybody else had been there other than the fact that she was beaten. Weird. Uh, Yeah. The front doors, the front and back doors had all also been latched. So they were locked when they went to go investigate the gate at the end of the driveway was wide open though when all of her neighbors said she would usually keep it closed so that was a little weird Mm -hmm. police theorized that she was maybe attacked in her house and ran to escape and when she ran down the drive she tripped when she was trying to climb over the fence and got caught in the barbed wire fence and that's when the killer caught up with her okay um since she was found near uh briars the spiky plants Mm-hmm. Um, police were aware that the killer may be scratched up and have some on top of like maybe some defensive wounds but they'd be scratched up from climbing through them in order mm-hmm. to get to her following the discovery they went door to door and did interviews with all of the neighbors in the surrounding area handing out questionnaires trying to narrow things down a little bit see if anybody saw anything uh, December 27th so we're talking four days after she was discovered marie farrell a local shop owner said that she saw sophie in her shop on december 21st around 3 p.m she also said that she saw a man that was standing outside of the shop wearing a long black coat and when sophie left he seemed to follow her or left at the same time and apparently it was enough to like make note in this woman's head Mm -hmm. um so she called in the tip uh, January 11th, 1997, so about a month later, authorities got a call from a woman calling herself Fiona. She said that she had seen a man in <coughs> Kilafata. <laughs> it's not correct, but okay. Uh, K-E-A-L-F-A-D-D-A. I have no fucking clue. I don't speak Celtic, <laughs> but I know that Kiel Lafada is not how they say yeah, it. I don't know. But at this bridge, <laughs> around 3 a.m. the night that Sophie was murdered, um, this was about two and a half kilometers from her house. The woman said that, said nothing else to the police, and they traced the call to a public payphone, so they didn't know who this woman was. There was an appeal to the public uh made asking for fiona the one who called to come to them and give them more information about this man that she saw 
Mm-hmm. And the next day they, she called in again. Okay. And they told them about that night. And she also called from a public pay phone booth at that point as well. So they couldn't trace who she was, where she was coming from. January 24th. So we are officially one month past her body being found. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fiona, quote unquote, called again and said she couldn't meet them. She couldn't meet them about the sighting, but this call was traced to Marie Farrell's house this time. So mm-hmm. the same woman who called in saying she saw her in the shop and she was followed by a man. Mm-hmm. Um, they were one in the same. I don't know why I wrote that at the end of that paragraph, but I did. Um, <laughs> Theatrical. It's a, it sounds like a, a bad script for like a true crime. They, they were, were one, one in the same. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so she told them that she didn't want to give a public statement because she was out with another man the night that she witnessed this other guy on the bridge oh shit um and she was married so she was like mm, i don't really want to like say out loud that i was the person yeah uh she said that the man on the bridge seemed drunk that he was kind of wobbling around and just kind of off and he started waving his arms around trying to catch their attention she also said that she saw a man the same man in January again at a supermarket okay mm-hmm. she's like I got apparently she saw his face close enough to be able to see him at the supermarket and put right. them together uh this man was Ian Bailey okay, okay. So Ian, Ian Bailey was a journalist living in Skull Ireland I want to live in Skull Ireland Skull it's probably pronounced like school or yeah right but it's cool but i'm gonna say skull (laughs) i'm gonna say skull um she he worked as a freelance journalist and met and moved in with an artist named jewels okay um he had a history of domestic violence with jewels and in 2001 he was actually convicted of assault as well Mm -hmm. so he has a little bit of a violent temper Mm, yeah criminal i wouldn't say past because this was like 97 and it was Mm -hmm. 2001 that he was charged with assault but um bailey just happened to be the first journalist that's on sophie's crime scene too what surprise surprise yeah he said he got a call from a reporter named eddie cassidy about the murder of a foreign journalist Mm-hmm. and both bailey and jules went straight to the crime scene after this call he says there was a local that said that at eleven forty-five, bailey had told them that he was covering the murder of a french woman mm-hmm. so this was three hours before he she was even technically discovered or right after she was discovered that's what it was an hour after she was discovered because it was right around 10 am suspicious yeah so it shouldn't even be known quite yet (laughs) uh so this was not known to the media or police yet that she was french they they didn't really know who she was they were still just getting there found a body figuring out who lived in the house yada yada so it's weird that he knew the french detail as well uh bailey said eddie said that she was french so eddie's the culprit whoever the Eddie guy is 
Uh, but Eddie denies knowing that. He said that all he said was she was a nationalist. She was from a different country. She, you know, mm-hmm. all we know is that she's a someone who's visiting, basically, is all right. we knew. <laughs> uh, Bailey wrote multiple articles on the murder. Weird. With details that weren't known to the public. How'd you know that, fool? Um, did Eddie tell you that, too? Did fucking Bailey? Eddie tell you? Uh, so, and I put suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be, be suspicious. Su- you're suspicious. That's suspicious. <laughs> uh, he also claimed that the victim had multiple male companions with no real evidence of that. I think trying to make it seem more uh, mm, fantastic than maybe it was, mm-hmm. if that's the case. Uh, and but yeah said in France she had multiple male companions which was not proven at all and that they may have killed her trying to point the finger elsewhere Mm -hmm. several people said that Bailey had scratches on his arms the days following the murder those damn briars Um, Bailey explained that these (laughs) sorry I forgot about this detail (laughs) Bailey explained that explain the cuts by saying that he was cutting down a christmas tree and supposedly he had climbed to the top of a pine tree to cut the top off of it as his christmas tree and fell down on his way back down and that's how he got the scratch (laughs) i can't i can't that's the stupidest (laughs) fucking made-up bullshit i've ever heard in my entire life And, and then he also had scratches on like his forehead area right Mm-hmm. And the way he said he got those is that he was trying to kill three turkeys. What? What? <laughs> so fucking tough. <laughs> um, so he and Jules were arrested uh, for the murder on February 10th. So about two months after the discovery of the body. When questioned of their whereabouts, he said he went to a pub with Jules, and when they got home around 1230, they slept until morning, and Jules agreed. She's like, yeah, that's what we did. At first. At first. She then said, well, he may have gotten out of bed around about an hour later. Um, Then in the morning, he had scratches on his forehead that he didn't have before. Um... What? no so bailey changed (laughs) changed his story and said yes he had gotten out of bed but it was at 4 a.m to work on something for about 30 minutes and then he came back to bed because he was Mm. doing a journalist thing i don't know he had a dream or something doubt it uh (laughs) that's what i'm saying um they were later released with no charges because there wasn't really anything connecting them conclusively other than Objects maybe left say so a lot yep. of hearsay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there would be people later who would come forward saying that Bailey had confessed to them that they had that he had done the murder. A 14-year-old Malachi Reed came out on February 4th, so right around when they got arrested, which I'm wondering if this is like why they officially got arrested to get questioned in that way. Because he came forward and said that Bailey was giving him a lift home. And Bailey confessed to him that he went up there with a rock and bashed her fucking brains out. Quote. Mm. 
Um, he also confessed to a couple people in 1998. So the next year after he was released because they didn't have enough evidence. Um, I did it. I did it. I went too far. And then, so that's a quote that they said he had said. Mm -hmm. um, then in 1998, he was arrested once again for the murder, but again was released because again, they didn't have enough physical anything to link him. Marie Farrell stands by Stan, I'm sorry. This makes no sense. I'm going to just quick do a little quick glancey glance and try to put it back together in a real sentence. So Marie Farrell has now announced publicly that he is the man that she saw on the bridge. Bailey's that guy. She had, she was harassed by him. And then in 2004, Bailey threatened legal action against her if to, to retract her statement. Mm -hmm. um, and she was like, uh, okay, because in 2005, she did retract her statement, um, claiming that she was coerced by the police to say that it was Bailey for some reason, even though she's the one who named him. Right. In 2010, a French magistrate issued a warrant for Bailey's arrest, but Ireland wouldn't extradite. So because it was a French citizen who got killed, they were like, well, we're going to try to do something about it since it's not getting done in Ireland. And but they wouldn't send him. And in 2019, he was tried in a French court, finally, um, in absentia. So or absentia. That's what it was. Absentia. And was found guilty and sentenced to 25 years in prison on May in May of 2019. So he can't really do it. But if he ever comes to France, they're putting him in jail. Right. Um, Bailey's still free in Ireland and swears that he's innocent. And the yeah. case technically remains unsolved. That's such bullshit. Even though Ireland is a non-extradition country. Mm -hmm. So if ever I commit a crime, that's where I'm fucking going. Bingo, bango, going to Ireland. Bingo, bango, going to Ireland. But yeah, and that's... That's the sad, weird, unfortunate fucked up case. I just like can't imagine that because they arrested him twice. Like clearly there was enough for them to feel like they could maybe get a confession or something with him. Right. But he nope, nope, nope. Well, now we have to let you go because it's been this what 72 hours or whatever it is. They can only hold you if you're arrested without charges. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. And I don't know, maybe he, maybe it wasn't him because there wasn't any connection other than this Marie Farrell saying she saw him on a bridge. And all the scratches. And, and the scratches on him. But like at the same time, I wasn't at the questioning, so I don't know how much they yeah. like pushed to say, well, are you sure he didn't like come back after being on somewhere? Are you mm -hmm. sure? Are you sure? You know, so I'm like, who, what happened and why? It's like her quiet place and that's where she gets... Well, that was wholly unsatisfying. Thank you. I know you're, Hey, you're welcome. Uh, unfortunately, I wish there was more to it, but there really isn't. <laughs> I don't like unsolved, but at the same time, I find it interesting because then you can kind of, it leaves it open to discuss what possibilities yeah. are. Oh, good gravy child. Good gravy child. Yep. So that's been my saying at work. Oh, good, good gravy, gravy child. child. <laughs> and uh, it's really funny when you hear like a two and a half year old say it 
to another child <laughs> because they've heard you say it enough. They're like, I took, oh, good gravy. <laughs> I took uh, Tessa to the zoo over Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And she was climbing up on one of the walls of the exhibit. And I'm pretty sure it was for the gorilla exhibit. And I went, hey, get off there. We don't need another Harambe. And she like turns around and like what? pops down. And I hear a dad just start laughing behind me. And he's like, that's my kind of parenting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Just saying, I don't need another Harambe. Get down. <laughs> hey, hey, don't be the reason for another Harambe, all right? Get down. And she does, she's like, what? And I'm like, just get down. <laughs> Stop climbing on the exhibits. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, well, this was fun. But I got to see your veins. I know, I miss you. I miss you too. Three weeks. Three weeks. I got some work to do. Oh, yeah, let's... Jiggle, jiggle. <laughs> My body don't jiggle, jiggle. It falls. <laughs> <laughs> My oh. body do jiggle, jiggle. <laughs> That's Kate. So sweet. Even after having a child, she's like, I have like one stretch mark because I was talking about something and she goes, yeah, I got my, because I got my first non-maturing stretch marks uh, over the last two years, right? And (laughs) she's like, she shows me this little tiny thing. I'm like, that's not even a stretch mark. That's just like a vein. (laughs) Get out of here. I'm like, I'm a tiger on my tummy now. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, sweet. Oh, sweet child. Oh, good gravy child. Good gravy child. <laughs> so, oh, okay. We're going to end this and then I'll talk to y'all about it. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, how do we end these? Spread the word. Oh, spread yourselves. Thanks. Well. Thank you. Thank you. Spread the gravy. <laughs> uh, ew. Ew. Keep your gravy to yourself. No snail trails anywhere. Get out of here. (laughs) And with that, I'm out. Goodbye. Goodbye.